the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets with your co-hosts, the Finance Coast and Mohamed Nala. Together, we have more than 25 years of combined experience in the markets. In addition to our weekly free show that you know and love, we have now launched Magic Markets Premium, a weekly show for our subscribers in which we give detailed analysis on global stocks. Every premium show is accompanied by a report covering the company's strategic drivers, its operating environment, its competitors, bull versus bear case, technical trading indicators, and a long-term investment thesis. At just 99 Rand per month, we are committed to making institutional-level analysis affordable for all investors and traders. Visit magic-markets.com to go premium and unlock your full potential in the markets. This podcast is brought to you by Herenia Capital Advisors, a registered financial services provider, FSP number 47080. Herenia Capital Advisors is setting the new standard for stockbroking services. Herenia is by traders, for traders. Visit herenia.co.za to find out more. Welcome to episode 77 of Magic Markets. We really have got a pretty cool library behind us now, and we've got a pretty cool guy to chat to tonight, Pietri Redlin-Hayes from Herenia. It's a tough market out there, Pietri, but I think you always manage to make this quite entertaining and fun, and there's always some cool stuff to talk about. So thanks for making time for us tonight, and uh, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much for, for having me. And, uh, you know, tough times breed good traders, right? Well, the ones that survive the difficult times are the ones that uh, survive for the long term. I know exactly what you're talking about, Pietri. It's always a pleasure having you on the show. And again, for, for listeners not familiar with Pietri, so Pietri is the head honcho at Herenia, and he is our resident trading expert on uh, what's happening high frequency in the market. So it's always great to have Pietri on the show just to chat from a more tactical perspective. You know, we try and mix it up. We try and do some of the long-term stuff. We try and do stuff that's unlisted. And now we're doing stuff in the listed markets where Pietri's been so kind as to share some of his gems, some of his insights with us. So Pietri, welcome back to Magic Markets. Thank you very, very much, man. It's a very kind intro. Pietri, what makes life so interesting for you is you get to see what the people in your trading community, in the Herenia community, are doing. And certainly for our listeners who want to take their trading to the next step, I can give Herenia a very personal recommendation. I've seen the, the quality of the Discord community, the people sitting behind the scenes, they're very focused on learning. Sure, I would imagine in markets where they've been, it's it's probably been a very supportive uh, environment and a lot better than kind of suffering alone, that's for sure. And of course, the joy of it is if you're trading, if you're swing trading, then you can take potentially long and short positions and you can actually play the game and you could still have very much made money in this environment if you're really good. Uh, whereas a lot of uh, sort of long only investment portfolios have seen absolute flames in the past uh, few months. It's very hard not to have seen flames, unfortunately, in this environment. So, you know, Pietro, you've got the visibility of what the traders in your community are talking about and doing. You've obviously got your own portfolio that you manage on behalf of clients and, and the decisions that you're making around that. So, you know, it's been about a month since we spoke to you. I'm interested to hear, you know, what what's keeping the Discord busy at the moment? What are the sort of top of mind discussion points? Where are people's heads at? Is there still a lot of fear in the market or, or where are they? Um, I think the, well, I, I, I first have to say that I'm, I'm very proud of them, actually. We haven't had any major blowups. Um, you know, one or two guys have had a few gut punches here and there, but no one's like blown an account or gotten absolutely wrecked. Uh, and I think that's just the virtue of just risk management, eh? Um, and quite a bit of the guys and and ladies that we uh, that we have in our client base are, uh, you know, more active traders, right? So they're a lot more active than 
you know, the sort of do one or two trades a week kind of thing. Some of these guys are doing, uh, you know, 30, 40 trades a day kind of thing. So what helps a lot is that, um, you know, often people don't hold overnight positions. Uh, so they're intraday trading. Obviously, you know, we have a specific account, uh, you know, with a fee structure that makes that possible. You know, that, that's been a big, a big help, I think. Uh, but mostly sort of the discussion is just really around U.S. economy, inflation numbers. You know, we're looking at the sort of disconnect between China and the U.S. at the moment, how China is kind of doing whatever they can to stimulate the economy, cut taxes. Um, they've got their 300,000 point plan <laughs> that they want to uh, start addressing various sort of sectors of the economy to try and stimulate economic growth. On the other side of the pond, you've got like the Western world that's all busy tightening. We're seeing record size uh, reverse repos happening. We're seeing um, sort of historically low liquidity top of book S&P 500 depth. Uh, and that's sort of a measure of liquidity. And that's sitting, you know, as low as it was during the sort of speed wobble we had in 2015. Um, as well as the COVID lows, you know. So liquidity in the market is something that's been uh, very topical. A couple of guys out there trying to trying to catch the bounce, trying to find the bottom. But um, I think everybody's sort of relatively comfortable with the idea that, uh, you know, for now, you know, we one, we don't really know where the bottom is. So we'll try and trade a bounce from time to time. But uh, for the most part, people are just being extremely cautious and very careful. I, I don't mind in a scenario like this, obviously, you know, a brokerage firm's needs transactions to take place but it's encouraging to see that the volume traded by our clients has actually reduced quite drastically this month you know on the back of of more volatile markets and that uh you know there's that adage you know people often in marketing will say you know like, well volatile markets is a trader's best friend yes if you survive uh you could say that but uh you know the first sort of thing to do is to protect capital and i think that's what really has been top of mind for guys for the last couple of months within the community is just protecting capital, making sure you're around uh, to trade again when the, when the, when the trading is easy. Yeah. I, th I think that's such important perspective Pitri, because you know, I want, I want to touch on two points there. One is we've, we've highlighted how important your community is in terms of allowing people to frame their risk management adequately. And I think, you know, two things, one is in a trading environment, it's almost I would say a little easier for people to take advantage of falling markets. I mean, a lot of people as they get into markets are traditionally just thinking with a long only hat on. And as they kind of graduate into slightly more sophisticated trading, then they trade both ways. You know, they go long, they go short. Uh, and that's where it becomes quite important. Your last point, though, is really what's quite critical, because that's where volatility creates opportunity. Yes, it also creates opportunity to blow yourself up. And so I think that's so vital in that people have you know, sometimes not taking action is also a choice. You know, I think that's very important. You also mentioned that people are kind of not looking to, to pick the bottom. And I think that's quite astute as well, because given the macro backdrop, you've touched on China, you've touched on this divergence that you're picking up. What's very interesting for me is that the Chinese are providing stimulus, both on monetary policy, fiscal policy. You haven't yet seen it come through in terms of some of the underlying performance of Chinese exposed stocks. You know, some of the worst stocks in my portfolio are still Chinese exposed stocks. Whereas in the US, yes, we've seen the pain. We're now marginally ahead of the official definition of a bear market, which is 20%. But again, we're splitting hairs. We're down 20% on a year-to-date basis. It's been a really tough market. How are you playing this practically? I mean, I get the macro picture, but practically, what does that mean? If you see this divergence between China and the US, 
not just directionally, but also on a relative basis. All right. So there, there, there might be an opportunity at some point to go along to ch uh, Chinese tech as well as sort of Chinese manufacturing, right? But exactly when that's going to be, we don't really know. Uh, for now, I think what's weighing down Chinese stocks is, well, very much the global macro picture, um, but also a fair amount of sentiment, right? We've, and, and earnings, let's be honest. I mean, look at what Tencent's earnings was the other day. The only sort of earnings that metric within the entire mix that was better than expected was PC gaming. Good job, nerds. But the rest of it, earnings are shrinking. And until we see that sort of earnings recovery coming through, we're not going to see those, those stocks bottom. But I do agree. I think that good trade at some point, well, maybe the, the optimum time to put the trade on is, uh, is gone, but it would have been short US tech, long Chinese tech, right? Um, for now, though, Chinese tech is still very much in the doldrums. So that trade sort of, you know, morphs into a wait for a good opportunity to be overweight Chinese tech versus versus US. But again, it's a matter of timing. You know, we haven't got any real sort of confirmed signals that now is the time. There are some sort of green shoots coming from China, I won't lie. So the time approaches, but it's definitely not today. Something I'm finding really interesting with earnings at the moment is a lot of it is, is still up on a two-year basis. You know, and a lot of company management teams are, are pointing that out when they release earnings is, listen, we're still higher on a, on a really decent sort of annual growth rate versus, you know, 2019, 2020, and that's true. What happened in the market was the multiples got really silly. Now the multiples are crashing back down to earth, taking share prices with them, and the underlying earnings trajectory for a number of these businesses is still in line with a decent strategic plan. You know, the corporate management teams are still, in many cases, delivering an okay set of numbers despite the fact that the market is burning this blazing red, you know. So a lot of this is just multiple unwind ultimately and i think a lot of what we do in premium is look at you know what are these multiples sitting at versus long-term averages and i think that's an important measure of whether something has potentially bottomed out and then you need to be really careful with whether you're looking at trailing multiples or forward multiples because at the moment the earnings guidance is also what's driving a lot of the sell-offs is a lot of the guidance is not great i mean we literally have just finished recording our show on walmart this week and they've guided for earnings growth of next, not a nothing for the next year. Revenue growth is there, but earnings growth is not because of a variety of reasons. So inflation is, is hurting a lot of businesses. And uh, the quality stuff is withstanding it. And a lot of the frothy stuff is falling right over. I mean, I was quite horrified. I looked at Lululemon earlier. We said it was expensive, Mo, but geez, it has really come off. I mean, it's getting to the point almost where I'm quite tempted actually, because it's on a sort of price earnings to growth ratio of around, you know, one and a half, which is still too expensive, but it's getting more reasonable. And Lululemon is a, is a really cool company. So I guess with a long-term portfolio, this is where you look to pick up the things you want to hold for the next 10 years, and maybe you get in at a better price point. And Pietro, I think what's really fun with a lot of what uh, the people in your community do is when you're trading, you know, you can get out of the way of stuff. I wish I'd gotten out of the way of Alibaba talking about Chinese tech. That would have been definitely the right thing to do. I think I'm like 60% down now. And again, I'll just hold it for a long time. It's part of my portfolio. But trading, there's definitely this allure of, of swing trading, especially in a market like this, where you are not afraid to get out of the way. And you're also not afraid to grab a pricing dislocation, hang on to it for a couple of months and make money. Or, or even a couple of minutes, right? <laughs> Usually around the time that the US opens, there's some, there's some interesting opportunities. <laughs> and sometimes people misprice things in the auction as well. The ones that happen over longer timeframes, over a few months, those are much bigger moves as where much larger amounts of profit can be made. But you need to have slightly bigger nerves, I think, to hang on to some big positions for long periods of time, right?
sort of just to go back to this Chinese tech thing, right? Like, I mean, there's just there's such a solid downtrend in place. And I mean, if you look at what happened with Snapchat as well, it wasn't actually the earnings that were bad. Uh, it was the forward guidance. And they sold a share of 30% in the after hours, right? And that obviously spills over into the Asian session and then that spills into us. And we have uh, Nasdaq down over 6% on the day. So those types of, of, of things, I think, really, once we start seeing companies kind of deploying, you know, because there's a lot of money on the sidelines as well. If you look at what, um, you know, f- forget about consumers. I think that, let's, you know, let's we focus on the, uh, on the institutional stuff. Cash reserves are sitting at near historic highs as a percentage of uh, exposure, right? So more and more people are withdrawing from the market until we see those cash reserves on a corporate level starting to deploy and we see companies start spending on CapEx again. That, I think, is going to be when we when we start to bottom up. Yeah, I mean, Petri, I want to maybe change tack a little bit here because, you know, we, we've touched on that. But something that's not been just falling in a heap or downward trending bear channel has been energy. Right. And the reason I want to raise this is, you know, it's something we've touched on on the last show. And I think the last time we had you on as well, we've engaged on it on on social media as well, because you've been an oil bull for quite some time. I think, you know, that's that's a, a nice proper flex on your side and well done to you and the, and the Herenia team. I saw you tweeting something about your Exxon Mobil position. And, you know, I, I have the <laughs> the uh, the unfortunate distinction of having sold my Exxon shares that are around sixty dollars there and thereabouts. And it's now almost twice that. So, you know, I think well done on that. But also in the energy cluster, we've had something we spoke about on the last show with you, which was uranium. And over the last month, we've seen uranium prices, whether that's the ETF or whether you're looking at Cameco, for example, stock that you mentioned, down in the region of 7 to 10%. So what's been happening in the energy space? Because that's been one of the key drivers behind the whole inflation story as well. And these macro things are related. Sometimes we're trading stocks. Sometimes we're trading geographies. Sometimes we're trading sectors. What's happening in the energy sector and what's your view there? Well, my view is very much unchanged. I know that uranium's pulled back quite a bit. Even that URNM uh, ETF has pulled back uh, quite a bit over the last month or so. But, you know, they're still sort of in very strong uptrends and they got to retrace at some point. So I'm not too worried. We've also seen kind of oil bounce around. Um, the uranium space is still, I mean, it's a bit of a touchy subject for, for, for some, right? Some countries are dusting off their uh, uranium power plants and, and bringing them back to life. Others are coming around and saying, you know, we're, we're happy to invest and build a few new ones. Uh, but still, there's a very sort of bad stigma attached to nuclear energy in general, because we've had a number of, you know, very bad disasters. But I think, as we said last time, if you were to, to sort of weigh up the damage done by nuclear meltdowns in the past versus oil spills, the winner will be clearly, you know, oil, right? But it still has this very bad stigma around it. So, you know, I think what we've been seeing a little bit is that the panic around energy shortage is um, subsiding a little bit. And that could have been one of the sort of driving forces that brought uranium down. But if we look at that URNM, which is the Sprott Uranium Miners ETF, uh, I think we spoke about that as well. It's one of the port- one of the stocks that we hold in our in our portfolio. You know, that's sort of come back down to this sort of 63 $62 uh, range. Uh, and that's sort of been trading since, I want to say, July 2021, kind of been in this range, maybe since August 2021, it's been in this range between $60 and $100. Now, I get that that's a 40% range, it's big, right? But, you know, it hasn't really broken below that. And the general sort of macro view around energy prices hasn't really changed either. We see OPEC that's reluctant to increase uh, output. 
Um, and we also see, you know, some European countries breaking sanctions and agreeing to pay Russia in rubles for natural gas, right? So we still are in this energy shortage sort of environment. And let's just be clear, this was the case before uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. That has made it a little worse. Um, and we definitely saw a very big price spike on that, which then, you know, normalized a little bit afterwards. But the sort of fundamental situation that there, that growing energy demand is not being matched by growing energy supply, you know, prices are still, are still going up. And I think that, you know, we spoke about that uranium trade. I think just to sort of reiterate, that was a, that's more of an investment than it is a trade, right? You're going to be in that for the next two to three years. I mean, uh, I'm not looking to sell. Uh, the uranium ETF at $100, I'm looking to sell it maybe at $300, right? Um, and the way that that happens is that over the next five to 10 years, uh, we're going to be, we're probably going to be seeing a lot of new nuclear power stations come to market. And then, you know, it's a long-term sort of uh, run up to the miners actually benefiting. Because at this stage, uranium prices are still fairly low, even though they are rising uh, relatively consistently. But they're still relatively low and profitability for these miners are still rather low. Once prices get a little bit higher, I think we'll start seeing the miners, you know, benefiting a bit more and the, the share prices moving. And it's also, you know, maybe by the time next earnings season comes around, we'll, we'll see some good surprises is what I what I sort of anticipate. But yeah, I mean, the, the general sort of energy thesis or theorem or whatever you want to call it, I don't know what the hot word for it is these days. So the view hasn't really changed, right? We've seen oil relatively persistently knocking on $115 a barrel. I think if we break up through that, we could probably see uh, $130 a barrel. But as we know, uh, you know, the market doesn't like to move in straight lines, right? It uh, it does do pullbacks from time to time. And we just have to uh, be patient enough to, to sit them out. Well, you know, again, that's from a longer term positional kind of strategic trading perspective. In the short term, you know, if the oil price is down two or three dollars overnight, you, know, you can probably short Cecil on the back of that for an intraday trade, right? So it depends on on your approach, I guess. But for the long term, no real change in the views. Uh, we've actually made zero changes to our portfolio, essentially, over the last two months. Uh, you know, still sitting on a fairly chunky piece of cash waiting for an opportunity to use it. Just not sure when that opportunity will come. So something I want to touch on quickly on that is the importance of stock picking around a theme in a, in a market like this. So I actually had a look the other day and everyone's been talking commodities, commodities, commodities. So a lot of people might have toddled off and bought uh, the resources 10 index tracker at the start of this year. Well, you at this point in time would be trailing the Finney 15, the Financial 15 Index. And the reason for that is that the banks have done really well this year because interest rates are going up and corporates are borrowing to fund their working capital shortfalls. So it's something I've been writing a bit about recently is these working capital pressures create demand for debt. I mean, well, we just saw it in Walmart, $11 billion, Pietri, they've raised in the latest quarter just to manage their working capital Jeez. shortfalls because they don't want to cut their dividend because the day Walmart cuts its dividend is the day that share price takes a 40% off. Yeah, share price dies. Yeah. So, you know, the, the demand for bank debt is actually a really interesting theme here that I haven't seen many people actually talking about, especially as rates are in increasing because then the margin on that debt also goes up. So the reason the resource of 10 index has been a bit of an underperformer is it's quite gold heavy. And as I'm the first to tell you, gold miners have not been great. I, I don't know when they will ever be great. I continue to hold them almost for the chiefs of uh, looking forward to a day where I can celebrate them. I mean, I'm not sure what environment that requires because the gold price... I, I can encourage you a little bit here yes. by saying that um, 
the ratio, if you look at the gold to S&P 500 ratio, and you plot that on a chart over time, that's broken out. So it seems that gold versus equities is that ratio is increasing. So I think the gold miners, I think the run will come. Just be patient. It would be lovely because the problem is, as I've learned, the gold price needs to grow faster than the inflationary pressures facing the miners. And that's the difference between buying the miner. Mo's looking hell of a smug. No one can see it because you're listening to a podcast, <laughs> not watching a video. But if you could see Mo's face, it's just this absolute unbridled joy. Because he's, he always said to me, rather buy the commodity than the miner. And uh, he was right, which is annoying. But anyway, these, you know, these are the things that you, you live and you learn and you, you live through these different cycles and you figure it out. And you, it's because Mo knows. No, that's knows. There we go. <laughs> There we go. Mo also knew about Zoom. Hey, I'll just point that out. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just being mean. Zoom and Netflix. And Netflix. When Mo doesn't yeah. know. <laughs> Mo knows about gold. I'll give him that much for sure. So just an interesting one, Pietri, for you and, and maybe something to discuss in your Discord and, and with some of your traders. Just keep an eye on the banking index. Some of those prices have come up quite hard. They are in some cases trading at a premium to book value, which is not ideal when ROEs are only kind of where they should be, not fantastic. But the trend there is interesting. If these balance sheets keep growing then even if they just maintain their debt-to-equity ratios, it means they're taking on more debt, right? And if they're taking on more debt, it means banks are getting advances out the door. And if they're doing that at a higher rate, then it's quite cool they're for the yeah. banking sector. So I just wanted to throw that narrative out there alongside so, the sort of resources I mean, one. I wonder if you, you – I mean, you started this off by saying, you know, stock pickers, right, or picking individual stocks. Uh, if you held Glencore, stocks at all-time highs today. So there we go. How does that measure up to the Finney 15? <laughs> I don't know. They, it's, because they agree, they, it's because they agreed that they were bribing officials, right? So <laughs> that's why the stock's at an all-time high. So. I mean, yeah, okay, fine, maybe. And they've set aside something like $1.5 billion to pay fines or whatever. Uh, but even, you know, it was kind of four or five weeks ago, it was around the same level it is now, slightly lower, obviously, but... Uh, you know, it topped out at about 103, and today it closed just under 104. So, um, I mean, that's uh, one of the companies that's been doing better. So, not you know, even within a very strong sector, they can be losers, right? And that's where something like relative strength is is uh, relatively important. Um, so, if you're if you're listening to this actually, and you can code in Python, uh, and you want to work on a little project, please contact me. Um, it's really hard to find um, good developers. So anyway, um, uh, when looking at relative strength, right? So you might look at, for example, the Finney 15 versus the, the top 40 index and see, okay, well, Finney 15 is outperforming. Then you might want to go and look at the individual stocks inside the Finney 15 and look which of those are outperforming the index and which are underperforming the index. And you only sort of buy the ones that are outperforming the index in the sector that's outperforming the overall market. So that's kind of how you can filter down into um, finding some 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 of the stronger some of the stronger stuff. This is just pure technical analysis. You might want to layer over some uh, fundamentals on top of that, but that's a sort of a generally sort of top down uh, technical view of trying to find strong trending stocks. I'll leave you with another one. Another sector that's taking some pain at the moment is food producers. So we saw it with Rhodes Food Group. I'm looking today, 52 week lows on Libstar on Quantum, on, uh, well, MassMart, but that's not a surprise, on Rhodes Food Group. So it's interesting, and MassMart, obviously not a food producer, just a mess. Uh, the food producers are really taking a lot of pain because the retailers are pushing all their pressure back up the 
value chain. So again, Up one the of chain, the yeah. one of the places where things are not working so well from an inflationary perspective is a sector like that. So yeah, this is the thing is inflation creates a lot of volatility, real winners and losers across the sectors. And I guess that's what separates the really strong traders, you know, from everyone else. And and I think Pietri, maybe in closing, you mentioned at the beginning an important point that I, I would imagine you'd be happy to reiterate, which is around risk management. You know, don't go and get blown up when things are tough. Don't be a hero. I, I'm guessing that's a discussion you have with a few traders on a regular basis, right? Every now and then you got to phone someone and wrap them over the knuckles. It's true. Um, but in general, yes, like my sort of view is that it's better to not make money than to lose money, right? So you might feel, oh man, you know, I missed a thousand opportunities, and yeah, you did. But um, if you you could have also done a huge amount of damage to yourself, so you kind of have to ask yourself, well, this is something that I say to people all the time. It's really like, particularly when wanting to trace a trade, chase a trade, or you've missed a trade, or your your trade is like sort of at stop loss, and you don't really know what to do, and you don't want to close it because you think you're right, or whatever. It's like a good way of thinking about it is, what am I going to regret more? Right. If I am in a situation where uh, you know markets are super volatile and I look around and some of the sort of more experienced traders are making a ton of money, am I going to regret not making that money more than I'm going to regret losing all my money? Odds are probably probably not, right? You'll probably regret losing money more. So that's a nice game to kind of even visualize yourself into that position, particularly when you're in a situation where you have uh, a stop loss that you want to take or uh, you know a position. Somebody, man, I tell you, there were some horror stories with this Luna stuff uh, that happened in the crypto space. I don't know if you guys have spoken about that, but you know, one of the things was if this thing drops to zero and you've you've lost fifty percent of your money, are you going to regret losing the other fifty percent to zero more than you're going to regret this thing bouncing back and you making back all your all the losses? Well, obviously you're going to regret losing all your capital more, so cut the position, right? Um, but that's obviously a decision every person has to make and the answer will be different for everyone, right? But that's a good sort of framework in which to try and think uh, about risk management is like, um, and uh, you know, to just disclose also, this is what I do with my own brain, right? Everybody's heads work differently, but that's kind of a thought pattern that that drives me is avoidance of regret and I've learned to kind of hijack that and, and use it to, to act in my own best interest. So um, it just works for me, you know, like, well, it, it what do I regret more? Um, the opportunity to play again with slightly less coins in my pocket or losing all my coins. Um, so that's kind of, yeah, that helps, I think, rationalize that decision to walk away from the market sometimes. Remember, the market's been around for hundreds of years. It'll be around for another couple of hundred years. You might not be, right? So your job is to make sure you're there again tomorrow. That's it. Pietri, I think you've you've almost solidified your, your invitation back onto the show because I, I think we could do an entire <laughs> an entire show. In fact, I want to do this. I want to put it on, on, on the radar. I'm telling you now, we're going to have you back. I want us to do a whole show on what are those behavioral biases because people can go and read a book about it. I've read tons of books about behavioral finance, but it's very different reading about it theoretically and then experiencing it. You know, I've taken the hard knocks. Mm -hmm. I've, I've taken the losses. I've, we've spoken about that in a couple of shows, but it's been sporadic. And I want to almost take all of these insights from you, from your Discord, your community, from my experience, from Ghost experience, and let's wrap that into another show where we discuss the lived experience around those behavioral biases and how that adjusts 
your own trading and investment strategy. I think that's, unfortunately, we don't have time for that today, but that's definitely your ticket back onto magic markets. I'm putting, <laughs> putting that right now. If you're happy, we're bringing you back on to discuss that. I say let's do it. I'll, I'll even, what I can do, if you like, um, is we can, we can ask some of the members of our Discord to, to join us and we'll hear from them what the, the, the sort of tipping point was for them because a lot of guys come in with bad habits, obviously, you know, and then the advice is generally just don't do anything, just watch and learn and read and ask questions and, you know, observe for a few weeks before you start. And generally, um, you know, after a few months, I'll say, yes, you know, I came in thinking this, now I'm seeing it this way you know, thank you very much kind of thing. Um, so I think maybe it'd be better to hear from, from them. I'll, I'll scratch around and see if there's anyone who's willing to. I think that's, I think that's a phenomenal idea because it's, it's, it's not the market that's wrong. You know, the market's just the market. It's how you approach the market yeah. that might be wrong. So we'll take you up on that. You know, I, I want to hear from the, okay. the members of your Discord, from your community. Uh, that'll be really exciting. Okay, cool. We'll, we'll organize. Fantastic. Chaps, I think that's what we have time for this week. Petri, stay alert, stay alive in the market. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's yeah. the lesson you've left us, you've left us with this week. <laughs> that's uh, sound advice, if I say so myself. Uh, Mo, it's always a pleasure, and we'll uh, do this again next week. Petri, thank you very much. And to our listeners, also, stay alert, stay alive in the markets. Don't be a hero. Just be cautious, and uh, you'll live to fight another day. Until next week. Cheers, same guys. time, same place. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor.